Good morning and welcome to the Mike Courtson program. I'm Mike, Dr. Mike, and my special guest today is Brad Dixon, writer and humorist from Los Angeles. Uh, to keep abreast of what's going on with my program, uh, feel free to check out my website, www.michaelcourtson.com or mikecourtson.com. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me at mike at michaelcourtson.com. Dixon on the phone, who's a comedy writer and has a new book out, Maybe Life's Just Not That Into You. Hi, Brad, and welcome. Thank you, Mike. Good to be here. Yeah, uh, so you're out there in California, and I understand you used to be a writer for The Tonight Show? I did. I was a writer for The Tonight Show for about uh, 15 or 16 years. Oh, so you plead guilty. I do plead guilty <laughs> to um, a lot of those jokes that you may have heard uh, the past decade and a half. Oh, great. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book? Uh, the book is called Maybe Life's Just Not That Into You, and it is a parody of self-help, self-improvement books. If anybody in your vast audience has ever purchased a self-improvement book that they were less than satisfied with, they might uh, enjoy my book. We poke a little fun at the uh, books like The Rules, the Anthony Robbins books, uh, Who Moved My Cheese, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all those books. We kind of... Uh, each chapter is a little uh, parody, satire of a different self-improvement book. Oh, I see. And uh, you said we. Who's the, uh, the other half of we? I'm um, a co-author, Martha Bolton, who is a uh, wrote for Bob Hope for uh, for many years. She no longer writes for Bob Hope for uh, obvious reasons. Well, yeah, he's not here. <laughs> yeah, he's no longer here. <laughs> so I mean, you know, the checks stop coming. Yeah, <laughs> that'll work. Uh, Got any examples of what you uh, have in this book? Um, yeah, one uh, a couple of my favorite chapters. One uh, in one of the chapters, we parody the book The Rules, which of course is that uh, standard, old standard for women who um, are looking to meet Mister Right. And you know, my favorite line is probably uh, um, making fun of the rules advice to never call a man. In the book, we say. Uh, um, even if uh, even if there's an emergency and you call 911 and a man answers, hang up immediately. <laughs> and also we uh, mock uh, Tony Robbins and his uh, walking on coals and his advice. And we uh, have a chapter in there called Poor Dad, Poorer Dad, which of course is a little takeoff on Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So, uh, you know, I think we pretty much run the gamut of... Uh, self-help books and we uh make fun of a lot of them yeah you're not originally from uh california correct no i am originally from uh, nebraska that comedy writing mecca how do you get from nebraska to hollywood i drove out <laughs> I understand. well i uh actually <laughs> that's probably not the answer you're looking for uh i was uh originally came out here in the early 80s to do stand-up and i didn't have an automobile and so i lasted about nine months Went back to Nebraska, and then the second time I came out, around uh, 91, I had uh, secured a job with uh, Jay Leno writing for his show. Ah, well, how did you get that? Um, I sent some stuff to him in care of NBC, and he called me up and um, offered me a, uh, a freelance job wherein I was paid 50 bucks a joke. And after a couple years of this, I graduated and got on his staff. Oh, so uh, you basically did piecemeal things. Uh, what did you just send by a fax machine? or? Exactly, exactly. I would go to a uh, Sir Speedy fax uh, outfit in Omaha, Nebraska, and fax in my material. 
At the time, he was guest hosting for Johnny Carson on Monday nights, and when it became a full-time uh, nightly gig, then uh, when Johnny left, then I uh, came out here and did it full-time. I see. And what, what was the time frame there? The time frame? Right. From when you um, started uh, writing oh, the time. Yeah, it was about two and a half years. I was uh, freelancing for two and a half years for him. And then I moved up the totem pole, and I got put on a weekly retainer. And then I moved up the, the last notch and began getting paid by NBC. Wow. So you actually worked for NBC in The Tonight Show. Yeah, I was actually working for getting paid by NBC uh, the last year that Leno was guest hosting uh, for Johnny. And that was a pretty good deal because I was living in Nebraska and I would just fax in my stuff and I was making the, uh, you know, the Writers Guild minimum. But in Omaha, you know, that's uh, like lifestyles of the rich and famous stuff. So uh, I was actually not thrilled when I, uh, when, when Johnny retired and I had to move out here and do it full time, move out to L.A. Well, how many writers does uh, Jay Leno have? He has about 15 or 16. Wow. And you were one yeah. of that staff? Yeah, I was one of that staff, and um, it's pretty much divided. Half those people work on the skits, the bits, and the other half work on the monologue. And you were a monologue? Yeah, I was a monologue writer. And a typical uh, Brad Dixon day, what did you do? Um, I'd get up and you read an awful lot of newspapers. Uh, that's pretty much what the job entails. I'd read six or seven papers a day, and I'd look to see which celebrity was arrested for a DUI or, or who was getting divorced or what politicians screwed up. And you'd write jokes about that and hand them in, and then we'd take the show about 4.30 in the afternoon, and I'd watch to see if any of my jokes made the final cut. About how many jokes a day did you have to do? Um, you could, you work at your own speed, but I would usually try to do about 100 jokes a day. Uh, of those, maybe 15 would be good, but, you know, you never, you, you, you don't enjoy the luxury, you don't have the luxury of writer's block when you work on a show like that. You kind of have to be uh, prolific every day. Wow, so Jay's got a big pile of jokes on his desk by about 3 o'clock from, what, seven or eight writers? Uh, no, he, he accepts freelance material from all over the world, so, you know, by 3 o'clock, he's probably got a stack of uh, 300, 400 jokes, maybe more than that, that have come in from all over the world. You know, there's probably um, hundreds of, there are hundreds of people writing for him, including some prison inmates. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so that was my competition to get material on the air. Uh, there were actually a couple of guys who were doing hard time, <laughs> and um, that would explain the uh, proliferation of jokes about uh, bad prison food in the monologue, I guess. Oh, I see. So uh, so maybe Tukey was one of the uh, staff writers and he didn't even know it. Yeah, you know, every time they'd execute somebody uh, frequently, the monologue would be a little wiped the next night because <laughs> we were down one writer. That was bad. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, a little more about your book, My Life's Just Not That Into You. That's available all over the place in uh, bookstores everywhere. Yeah, yeah, maybe Life's Just Not That Into You. It's at Barnes & Noble and Borders and uh, Amazon.com and all of that stuff. And, uh, I mean, it's my first book, and uh, based on what I've gleaned, uh, the information I've gleaned, it's doing okay. That's great. Um, when you go into the store now, do you actually see your book there on the shelf or on the tables? Yeah, they... they you, well, I usually just drive from bookstore to bookstore, taking a quick look, and um, you know, it's 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 interesting to see the book on the shelves and to uh, actually see my name attached to something I've written, other than uh, instead of Jay Leno's name, and I kind of like it. All right. 
So you're basically uncredited. Well, were you credited as a writer on the Tonight Show? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. You're credited. You know, it's, for the for the people who actually watch the credits at the end of the show, which they run once a week, but that's probably point oh 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 one percent of the people who watch the program. And they just flash by in about thirty yeah. ten seconds yeah. at the on Friday it, night. Exactly. They exactly. They have to. Uh, uh, under the guild writers guild tenants they have to run those once a week but they they, they go by uh, lightning speed yeah so the the guild is what the uh, writers union yeah it's a, it's a union that'll probably uh, force me to go on strike next fall so uh, animation writers can get better health care we're always going on strike for us something like that oh well, what do you do when you go on strike nothing um, you can't write? Technically, you're, well, you're supposed to show up and walk around with a picket sign. Um, we'll see what happens. Hopefully it won't come to that. You put your laptop in, the, in a drawer or in a closet or something and then you stand with your arms folded and wait? Well, what it boils down to are a bunch of writers trying to network, standing there with picket signs on the corner. Uh, writers usually aren't too militant, and if somebody wants to cross the picket line, you know, we usually give them a pat on the back and uh, wish them well. Very good. Uh, Give me a little bit about your uh, stand-up comic uh, routine that you came in, that got you into L.A. to begin with. Well, I, I did a little, uh, little three-minute routine. At the time, they gave you three minutes at the comedy store on amateur night, and that's what I originally started doing. And um, at, on at least one occasion, I had to fire, follow Sam Kinison, if you oh remember him, on stage. And so he'd whip the audience, I think it was probably my fourth or fifth time on stage, um, probably 1.30 in the morning, I uh, was following him, and he came out and had whipped the crowd into some kind of substance-induced fury. <laughs> and then I came out and attempted to tell my jokes about uh, George Bush Sr.'s economic plan, which uh, didn't go over real well. And so he's screaming, get out of the desert, and then you have to come out after that. Yeah, he's up there screaming, there's no food in the desert, and then I come out and I talk about the, the nuances of uh, Bush's foreign policy and uh, tax incentives, which uh, didn't play real well, and um, uh, it, it, it was... Uh, it, it, it was an epi- I had a little epiphany that uh, maybe uh, writing would be the uh, best outlet for uh, my creativity. So you started writing after you got back to Nebraska? No, I was writing throughout. I was writing for uh, Joan Rivers and Rodney Dangerfield and a few other people. And then I wrote for myself and I was doing my stand-up act. And then after I got back to Nebraska, I began uh, faxing stuff to Leno. So who was the first comic you wrote for? Uh, the first comic I wrote for was either Joan Rivers or Rodney Dangerfield. I started doing both right about the same time, probably Joan. How did you get in touch with her? Uh, again, same way as Leno. I just sent her stuff in care of uh, The Tonight Show at NBC. I was pretty much a, uh, whoever was guest hosting, I would uh, send them material. Oh, I see. So, uh, well, Rodney Dangerfield, I don't think he ever hosted The Tonight he Show. He never hosted. I sent him stuff. To, uh, Dangerfields in New York, his nightclub, and I heard back from his assistant. I never had any direct contact with Rodney. Never had any direct contact with Joan either. I dealt only uh, with their assistants. I see. So it's just basically a business deal. You like our joke, you, you get money, and uh, that's the end of it. Yeah, well, Joan would pay me 10 bucks a joke, and I think Dangerfield paid uh, 50 or 60 and. Um, um, I remember Phyllis Diller, I once sent her some material, and she bought one of my jokes and sent me a check for $3. <laughs> three, 
Did you keep it just to keep the autograph? No, I needed the money and I cashed <laughs> it the very, the very day I got it. I, I, I think that uh, in, in Omaha, that $3 actually went quite a ways uh, back in the 80s. Oh, I see. Uh, are you working on any new books that we can look forward to? Um, yeah, we actually were fortunate enough to get a two-book deal, and I have another book coming out in October. And um, after that, no, I have zero uh, zero uh, plans for more books after that, but hopefully the book in October, and, and this one will do well enough, and I'll be able to uh, keep doing this. And what's the uh, new book about? It's called Race You to the Fountain of Youth, and it's uh, kind of mocking all the ridiculous stuff that people do to try and look and feel younger. <laughs> such as? Uh, you know, such as uh, Botox and, and uh, vitamins and supplements and, and on and on and on, um, plastic surgery. It's, uh, it's a little different type of writing for me, but I, I think it came out pretty well, and uh, hopefully it'll do well, too. Oh, well, great. And... Uh... When you were working with uh, Jay, do you actually ex get to see Jay, or you have an office there? And the, the, oh yeah, it's yeah, yeah. My, my yeah, my office was uh, a couple doors down from his, and so I'd write the jokes and I'd take him into his office. And uh, you know, after I'd been there for six or seven years, I think he actually learned my name, and you know, and uh, <laughs> he'd occasionally speak. But uh, there wasn't a lot of interaction. But you asked me if I would see him, I think, and yeah, I'd see him. He asked me if I actually conversed with him. You know, not a, not a whole lot. Yeah, I used to see him when I lived in Pasadena. He, they had a car club that uh, would meet at the uh, supermarket parking lot, and uh, mm -hmm. all these guys in their old cars and whatever. And he'd always show up with some you know fancy car in his car collection. He oh, yeah. be a, a very personable guy. Uh, you know, yeah, he drives the dogs. A he drives a different car to work every single day. He would uh, he would show up in a fire engine some days and some. <laughs> some DeLorean convertible and, uh, you know, literally all, a different car almost every day. Yeah, I met Jack, or John DeLorean uh, when I was a trial lawyer in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, very interesting guy. I think he passed away a year or two ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting guy. Yeah, he, I was there in a, a separate case and he was in the middle of a settlement conference of his case where he owed money to Howard Weitzman who'd gotten him off from the... Uh, Oh yeah, the uh, the cocaine charges that were against him. Yeah, which is even funnier because I guess struck up a conversation with John saying, you know, do you know uh, a guy Vern Lair? And he goes, oh, do you know him? Because he was Vern was the foreman on his jury. He said, well, if you yeah. see Vern, you kiss him for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I became uh, uh, all the knowledge I have about John DeLorean is pretty much gleaned from Johnny Carson's old monologues. He became a staple, and I think Carson drove a DeLorean. And did a lot of jokes about him. Carson actually was one of the uh, major investors for uh, right in that company. I think he lost right. uh, several million. Yeah, uh, I guess uh, Howard was trying to uh, collect his uh, fees from uh, uh, John DeLorean, and uh, DeLorean actually didn't want to. It wasn't him that was holding up the. Uh, payment it was the bankruptcy trustee they had set aside his estate down in uh, san diego to pay the attorney's fees and the uh, uh -huh. he happened to be the named real party in interest but uh, interesting guy yeah sounds like it yeah so in a typical day at uh, nbc you run into a lot of celebrities there yeah you run into a lot of them you uh 
you see them, I mean, they have a policy that you're not supposed to approach them. Um, I met a few people. I, I'm, I'm not much into uh, show business celebrities, but I went down and introduced myself to Mark Cuban, the uh, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, and occasionally there would be somebody there from sports. Uh, I met uh, Shaq and uh, Michael Jordan, people like that. But you, uh, you see them constantly in the halls, and after a while you just kind of you know, get used to it. That's great. Uh, any uh, screenplays or anything like that that you've been working on? Yeah, I've, I've written about 10 screenplays, and I've wow. sold one. It's, uh, it was never produced, but I got to keep the money, which is fine with me. Um, I'm working on, a, working on a couple of scripts, and hopefully I'll end up doing um, something in that realm. I think you live in Los Angeles. It's mandatory that you write at least one screenplay a year, so that's kind of what I'm doing. Um, the books are closer to what I do best more like the joke writing you don't have to deal with characters or plot or anything like that so i hopefully i'll continue doing books and uh occasionally doing some scripts so you got paid for a screenplay but it never got produced how does that happen right well i think that they only produce something like one out of ten that they buy the studios so you uh you know they buy a lot of scripts that they don't use and um, i sold mine to michael j fox's production company um some time ago and then he became ill and it went into turnaround which means they're not going to do it but i got the rights back and uh, you know i can still go out and sell that to somebody else so that's like what called an option right yeah it was called an option and um which means that they get the rights to it for a year or 18 months oh i see so that's not bad get paid, yeah, it's not bad doing it's nothing not bad. and yeah, they, they don't do it and they give it back to you you get to sell it again there are an awful lot of writers out here, a hell of a lot, hell of, a lot of writers who make an, an incredibly lucrative living who have never written anything you've ever heard of. At least in television, I could write you know, some joke at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and it'd go out over the airwaves that night, which was something that appealed to me about that kind of work. That's got to be pretty gratifying to say, well, I wrote that. <laughs> well, not when the joke dies in front of 6 million people. It's not all that gratifying, but uh, when it Oops. would work, yeah, it would be. Yeah, What's one of your more memorable uh, jokes that you wrote for Jay? Um, I remember a couple of, one of the jokes that I liked was, um, um, back, uh, this all, uh, it's kind of a dated joke, which I'm sure you love, but uh, John Kerry was running for president and he'd won a primary, and uh, the joke was, I only hope this doesn't give Kerry a big head. <laughs> um, another one was when our announcer, Ed Hall, was leaving the show, after 12 years, Ed Hall would appear. I don't know if you if you watched the show, but Ed Hall would do the introductions at the beginning of the show, and then he would disappear. And the joke was, uh, uh, this is Ed Hall's last night. I'll never forget uh, when I first met Ed Hall. It was backstage about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> well, he's a booth announcer, right? He was, uh, well, no, he was on the floor, but he would make the introductions at the beginning of the show and then go off to... Uh, to do God knows what. He wasn't around for the rest of the program usually, and then they replaced him with uh, Stuttering John from uh, Howard Stern's show. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm familiar with that guy. But did you actually uh, stick around for the uh, taping of the show? Uh, it depends on who was on the show. Frequently I'd watch my part of the program, the monologue, and then I'd split. But if there was, uh, you know, if there was somebody from sports or Pam Anderson, then I'd stick around. All right, getting back to your book, uh, Maybe Life's Just Not Into You. And I'm speaking with uh, Brad Dixon, the co-author with Martha Bolton on this book. Uh, how 
did you and Martha get together and write this book? I think that she had seen one of my columns, either in the L.A. Times or the Jewish World Review, and she contacted me and asked me if I'd like to co-author a book. And since she's published something like 70 books and I'd wow. published a total of zero, I uh, said, yeah, I'd like to do that. And so we, we tossed around some ideas until we came up with something we agreed upon, and we just wrote it uh, via email. I have yet to meet her. You've never met her? Never met her, never spoken to her on the phone. Oh, my gosh. How do you, Well, you know, in the days of the Internet, a lot of things get done that way. Uh, this is the first I've heard of people actually collaborating and never meeting face-to-face. Yeah, we've we've never met, um, and we have no plans to meet. Uh, she's in Nashville. I'm in Los Angeles. You know, we at one time we talked about if if she was going to be in L.A., we would meet, but so far it hasn't come about. So it's working, and so why why mess up a good thing? Is the way I look at it. Great. Uh, do you guys figure out a, like a percentage of who wrote how much of the book, or is it about a fifty-fifty? Or yeah, it's it's about fifty-fifty. I mean, you know, I'm not, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to matter who who wrote the book. It's just kind of the bottom line is is what what is the end product is is the way I look at it. And I know that uh, without her experience and her good reputation in publishing, it never would have been published. That's great, though. You've got to be really uh, very gratifying to uh, have been able to uh, command the attention of a major publisher. And who is your publisher? Um, it's it's. Simon & Schuster, it's an imprint of Simon & Schuster, technically called called Howard Publishing. And, um, yeah, it was gratifying to get that with my first book. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 I, I'm very thankful to them uh, taking a chance on me. Yeah. Uh, from start to finish, uh, how long did this project take? It took about six months. We, we wrote the book in about four months, and then we, we send it off to the publisher, and they get back to us with detailed notes. And they ask us to change certain things, and uh, we go back and forth for another two months, and then it's uh, all done. Did the uh, editors at uh, the publisher uh, butcher it? They didn't butcher it. They asked for uh, a significant amount of changes, and if we disagreed with the changes, we would uh, email them back and tell them, uh, forget it. And um, so we went back and forth like that, like I said, for about two months. Did they have some good suggestions, or was most of them junk? <laughs> they they had you know what they had a lot of good suggestions Mike and they had uh, three or four that were just uh, complete junk and uh, we told them so and they were open to that and they uh, the junk didn't make it into the final uh, final product. Oh, that's great. If uh, have you ever thought of doing maybe a sitcom since you're so much into uh, comedy writing? No, you know I don't. I'm not really a sitcom guy. I don't like dealing with characterization and, and most of the sitcoms I watch, uh, I don't enjoy. And also, uh, sitcoms are, are becoming extinct. It's all reality programming now, so it's, it's real hard to, uh, to write for a sitcom. I have my daughter was on a reality show. What uh, show was that? Uh, Monster House. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She did an episode back in 2003. Yeah, eventually everybody in this country will be on a reality show at least once. Yeah, that seems to be quite the trend, and I, I see the Writers Guild is kind of opposed to that too, in some fashion or another. Well, that's another issue that's going to be on the table if and when we go on strike. Uh, you know, I may go on strike, so uh, um, the, the the participants in some reality show can get better health care. So, uh, you know, did that really impact you uh, when the impact this uh, reality uh, show business came in? 
say it again. Did the uh, reality show business kind of really cut into the, uh, you know, your writing prospects? Um, not mine per se, because I worked for it. That's my other phone. I should take it, but it's probably a telemarketer again. Uh, <laughs> the the no, it didn't. It didn't really affect me working for the Tonight Show because that's a late night variety programming. But I have friends, a number of friends who write sitcoms. And, yeah, it's, it's been a huge impact. It had a huge impact on their careers. Writers are being laid off. and uh, um, So it's, it's not a good thing if you're, uh, if you're a comedy writer. Uh, well, do you think comedy writing is the, is the way to go if somebody was aspiring to become a writer? Yeah, I think so. I think that if you can write humor, if you're funny, the, the market for that is, is a lot more receptive. I think there are a lot fewer people who can write comedy, who can write humor well. And... Um, so yeah, I think it's the way to go if you want to be a writer and you 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 have any uh, talent for it at all. I think that comedy writing is uh, something worth pursuing. How? Well, what would you suggest to say uh, someone starting out? I have a friend in Chicago and she's trying to get into comedy writing. Um, have something good to fall back on because <laughs> most keep your day people, job. Yeah, keep your day job unless your day job is terrible. Then 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 go for it. But. Uh, it's it's a tough field to crack, but you just have to train yourself to write funny and look for the funny in everything. How do you find uh, funny? You just look at the world from a skewed uh, point of view. No matter what happens, try to look it for the humor in it. You know, if you uh, something happens, uh, you, your your car is uh, totaled. Look for the humor in that. You just have to condition yourself to look for the humor day in and day out, no matter what happens. Your life may not be all that pleasant, but you can eventually develop a career out of that. Right. Now, you mentioned you also write a column. Yeah, I write occasional columns for the L.A. Times and the uh, L.A. Daily News and a website called Jewish World Review. So it's not, it's not a steady column, but it's, it's a reoccurring column. It's pretty much whenever something strikes me that I find funny, then I'll sit down and write it and send it off to one of the papers. Oh, and how often do those appear? Do you, uh, they appear maybe um, every six weeks or so. Oh, well, that's great. Uh, do you get paid for these things, or that's just for fun? Yeah, you do get paid for it. It's, it's not a lot of money, but, you know, it's 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 something that I do just for the satisfaction of, of writing it. And um, Eventually, maybe I'll have a, a steady gig at some newspaper if the newspapers don't all die out before I'm ready. <laughs> Well, I don't at the rate they're dropping, I mean, you know, with all the cutbacks on newspaper staffs, this is, uh, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like being a newspaper columnist. It's kind of like being a, a guy who repairs uh, beta v- VCRs. I mean, you know, it's, it's it's a dying profession, but hopefully there will be a resurgence and uh, I'll get some kind of a steady gig at a paper one day. Where do you see Br- uh, Brad Dixon in, uh, say, 10 years? I'm probably living somewhere besides Los Angeles and writing something that I enjoy. Hopefully, writing more books because this has been uh, this has been the best experience of my life. Uh, writing the book—it's the first thing that I've ever written that I've laughed out loud while while we were writing it. And uh, so, I'll, hopefully, I'll just be an author and uh, maybe get an occasional uh, screenplay uh, produced or sold and uh, write an occasional column. Do you have any uh, desires or aspirations for uh, production or directing or anything of that nature? Oh, I'd love to be a movie producer, but uh, they're, they're, those jobs are hard to come by. But yeah, I'd love to I'd love to do something where I would have a little bit of control over my work. And uh, being an author, I've, I've seen what it's like to, uh, 
to, to have a say in the final product, and yeah, I'd love to do that. Yeah, I, I, I have aspirations towards that, but I don't think it's going to happen for me. I've got too many other irons in the fire, a lot of hooks in the water, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you never know. I mean, as you know from watching the, the finished products uh, in, in the movie theaters, you know, a lot of the... The bar isn't set real high, Mike, in some of these uh, some of these films, so uh, you never know. That's true. Uh, the book is Maybe Life's Just Not That Into You. Um, Great. You got the title perfect. You know, so many people screw up that title, but that was, uh, that was perfect. Congratulations. I, I, I try. What can I say? <laughs> and I'm on the phone here with uh, Brad Dixon as my guest. I really appreciate you taking out the time, Brad, to uh, talk to me and my listeners. Uh, Sure, you're welcome. Really a treat for us. Uh, we're here in the middle of nowhere, so. And I, I come from the middle of nowhere, and right now I wish I was in the middle of nowhere. I have to go out and deal with the traffic and the uh, crime I, out here, so I, I, I envy you being in the middle of nowhere. I, I agree. I spent 25 years in Los Angeles, so I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's That's a good right. thing to be. It's a good place to be from. That's right. We've <laughs> talked about that before. It's, it's, it's a good place to. Um, to be from exactly you hit the nail on the head and it's, it's good to reflect on your la nightmares from someplace far away that's yeah. true well i really appreciate you taking out the time ladies and gentlemen the book is maybe life's just not that into you and uh brad Nixon and uh, martha bolton Why, uh, how, do, how are people messing it up um they're saying um maybe he's life's just not that into you people and they're saying, uh, you know, it's a to take off as a title of, of uh, take off on the he's just not that into you book, and they'll they'll repeat it like that. Actually, I think we're probably selling a lot of books on Amazon by people who think they're buying that best-selling book. Right? He's just not that into you. <laughs> and that was kind of the game plan all along was to come up with the confuse the buying public. Like but uh, the it, you know, I three out of four people uh, screw up the title. No, you should have made it Da Vinci Code or something. Yeah, that, that'll be the next book. <laughs> With a B. Uh, yeah, Da Vinci Code, yes. And, and, and just look for those people who are uh, trolling Amazon and uh, order the wrong book. There you go. Well, that's thank my you. advice. Yeah, yeah, that's my advice for authors is uh, confuse the public and come up with a title very similar to something that's selling well and uh, you'll sell a lot of books. <laughs> well, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Brad Dixon, I appreciate thank it. Thanks a lot, buddy. Take You're care. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. I'd like to thank my guest, Brad Dixon. This is Mike Kortzen. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.